looking at that data very closely because it's, it seems quite clear in your previous segment you had about input prices and commodity prices having an input uh, through to the consumer. There's clearly uh, inflationary pressures uh, that are there. Are they persistent? I think that's the big question. So we'll be looking at the contemporary inflation data to see how much of this inflation and price push, uh, cost push inflation, if you will, is uh, persistent in the economy. So, yeah, it's clearly the story coming up. Okay. The one thing I wanted to ask you, there's this curious phenomenon at the moment that as shares close uh, on Wall Street, then in the overnight session, which is really in Asian trading, there always seems to be this huge rally uh, in stock index futures. I'm looking at the moment, Dow futures are up over 200 points uh, right now. And it seems to be a very consistent pattern that's been repeated over and over now for uh, really the last sort of couple of months. Is, Is there any explanation as to why that's happening? I don't know, actually. It's a very good question. Um, and I learned very long ago in my career not to uh, try to preempt markets. Uh, understanding um, <laughs> uh, market movements is the reason why I wasn't a, wasn't a trader. It's a very challenging uh, period. But look, you've got very light uh, liquidity conditions in those periods uh, post-market. So things can move quite aggressively. Uh, you probably get some aftermarket earnings um, across corporates as well, which adds uh, some of that volatility. But to be to be honest, I really wouldn't know exactly why. No, me neither. It's, but it's, it seems to be happening. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And let's take a final look for the markets this morning, which are all surging across Asia. The ASX 200 in Australia is up three quarters of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, has risen one and three quarter percent in, Cos- in South Korea. Cosby is up a third of a percent. Uh, Looks like the Hang Seng is going to rise over 200 points at the open shortly. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning for Money Talk. Uh, Back chat's coming up. Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings this morning. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, apart from one or two showers in the morning. Once again, very hot. The very hot weather warning is in force. Going to get up to about 33 degrees in the urban areas. Still going to be very hot tomorrow, but also a few showers and then showers and thunderstorms uh, uh, early to midweek next week. The temperature right now is 30 degrees and it's 79% relative humidity. 8.32, Todd Harding has the half-hour news. Organisers of the annual June the 4th candlelight vigil say they're planning to fight a police ban on the event. The force formally objected yesterday to the memorial gathering in Victoria Park for the victims of the 1989 Tiananmen crackdown. Officers said the SAR was still on emergency alert for COVID-19 and public order would also be jeopardised. But the Hong Kong Alliance, in support of patriotic democratic movements of China, says the police aren't taking into account the lull in coronavirus cases. Its spokeswoman Chao Hong Tong says an appeal is planned. I think the government has been talking about like, relaxing all this uh, anti-COVID measure already. And for, for, for them now to use a basically a template letter very similar to what they gave us last year, it's a sign of laziness and a sign that they haven't actually considered the, the, the actual situation right now. It's the second consecutive year the event has been banned. The Hospital Authority Employees Alliance says it's had a visit from government censors questioning its screening of films about the 1989 crackdown on democracy protesters in Tiananmen Square. The pro-democracy union showed the documentary I Have Graduated to members last week and plans tomorrow to show Conjugation, a fictional film that's banned on the mainland. Steve Dunthorne has more. 
The union said on social media that staff from the Office for Film, Newspaper and Article Administration visited its premises yesterday evening without notice. They questioned whether it had approval for a screening of I Have Graduated last week and its plan to show Conjugation, a fictional drama about students who escaped the bloody crackdown in Beijing in 1989. The union accused the government workers of refusing to show their staff identification cards and at taking photos of their office without permission. It also questioned whether the move amounted to political suppression. The United Nations Human Rights Council has agreed to open an investigation into this month's conflict between Israel and the militant group Hamas. 24 out of 47 countries voted in favour of the resolution. Hamas, which controls the Gaza Strip, has welcomed the decision. But Mark Regeb, the senior advisor to the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, condemned the outcome. Another shameful day for the UN Human Rights Council, which not only defames a democracy trying to protect its people, but it whitewashes a brutal genocidal terrorist organization that not only indiscriminately attacks Israeli civilians, but abuses Palestinian civilians in Gaza, using them as human shields. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host this Friday. is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about the vaccine surplus and e-sports. Hong Kong is facing a COVID-19 vaccine surplus because of a, quote, serious reluctance among residents to get inoculated, according to authorities. The government's now considering delaying or cancelling vaccine delivery or even donating them to countries in need. Currently, there are about 840,000 BioNTech doses and more than a million Sinovac shots still unused. The BioNTech shots will expire in mid-August, we're told. So what should we do with the leftover vaccines? Should we throw them away, donate them or resell them to other countries? Will it affect our ability to restock or get vaccines in future? Why are we in this position? Why is the take-up rate low in other places too? And uh, according to one study, more than 20,000 Hong Kongers could be hidden carriers of COVID-19. What should we make of that? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave your comments on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email bankchat at RTHK or you can call us and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. Later, we're going to be discussing uh, eSports. According to a new survey, over 70% of people support the development of eSports here. Do you? Uh, or are they just the bane of parents' lives? Uh, let us know your thoughts. Backchat at rthk.hk. Let's kick off. We've got a few emails on, on different topics, as ever. Uh, let's kick off with a few uh, talking about uh, <coughs> aspects of uh, COVID-19 prevention. Uh, this is from uh, Les, who says, first of all, I'm politically neutral as it's not my fight, uh, but I do want to highlight watching how the public is turning against this government over their mismanagement of COVID. In particular, we're now heading into the holiday period when kids schooled overseas need to return home and lots of people who haven't been able to see families overseas for a long time. Yes, those are the people in the blue camp. Remember, they all have foreign passports and their families living abroad. And the choice adjectives the public use to describe the government is certainly way more creative than the effort it has put in for us, its taxpaying citizens. 
Paisley says, respiratory specialist Dr. Lung Chi Chu's views on dealing with COVID are unrealistic and enormously damaging to Hong Kong's nascent economic recovery. As a reminder to listeners, Dr. Lung has consistently cautioned that a relaxation of social distancing rules could trigger a surge in COVID infections. Hence, it was no surprise that he came out yesterday to warn that the proposed cruises to nowhere would, to quote him, obviously bring with them a risk of imported COVID cases, even though all crew and passengers will have to be vaccinated and tested. While Dr Lung is correct in saying that vaccines do not provide 100% protection, they do significantly reduce the risk of infection and spread. To aim for zero COVID-related cases is simply unrealistic. Hong Kong needs to adopt a measured risk approach, accepting that while reopening the city will bring some risk of more cases, this will be more than offset by the resultant economic benefits. The models being adopted by the likes of New Zealand and Australia, effectively closing off their countries to foreign travellers and implementing lockdowns every time there's a small outbreak, are also not the answers. As we know, the quickest path to a return to normalcy is for Hong Kongers to embrace the vaccination programme. The government's vaccination dashboard shows that, as of last night, 1.302 million locals have had their first shot, representing 19.9% of eligible people. Based on the current daily rate for first vaccinations of just 12,711, we would only reach 50% vaccine coverage in early November. It's high time for the government to dip into its huge fiscal reserves and offer cash, say $5,000, to all unvaccinated Hong Kongers to incentivise them to get on board with the programme. That's from Paisley. Our guests uh, in the main section of the discussion this morning are Dr Gabriel Choi, who's the president of the Hong Kong Medical Association, <coughs> Christopher Lai, clinical assistant professor at the Department of Microbiology at Chinese University of Hong Kong, and Siddharth Sridhar, who's clinical assistant professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Um, good morning. Uh, Siddharth Sridhar, let's, let's go to you first. Um, the world is crying out for more COVID vaccines, and in Hong Kong, it looks like we're going to have to um, throw some away. Uh, this is, surely this is an appalling situation. What, what, what should we be doing about it? Sit off, Shreya. Yeah, it, certainly is, it certainly is an appalling situation. I mean, there are many parts of the world which are going completely without vaccinations, and, uh, and it's uh, a, a real shame that uh, people uh, in Hong Kong perhaps don't appreciate the very fortunate position that they are in, having not only a vaccine, but also two vaccines and a choice between two vaccines. So we are truly in a unique position um, in, in, in the world in respect to that. And uh, vaccines that we have available in Hong Kong uh, are, are world-beating in terms of, you know, really being market leaders in, in, in the COVID-19 vaccine group. So I think, the again, but again, we, we can't castigate those who... Uh, make a decision or are hesitant about receiving the vaccine at this stage, but we have constantly got a message about the potential benefits of vaccines um, non-stop. There's got to be a concerted fight against the wave of misinformation that is driving a lot of this hesitancy. And I really do hope that most of those get used up uh, in Hong Kong. But, I mean, eventually, if if there's a good sign that they're not going to get used up, don't let them expire. There are plenty of places in the world that would die for these shots. So, donation would be the correct, would be the ethical thing to do if if they're not welcome locally. But don't you think other countries would be slightly suspicious of us passing vaccines to them at the last moment, especially if we wait until uh, they're they're shortly going to expire? I'm afraid a large number of countries in the world are not in a position to question our motives. 
um, if and the situation has to be made very clear that uh, there wasn't enough demand locally. These are still highly effective vaccines, still within the expiry date, and uh, still still usable and still provides protection against severe COVID-19. And I'm sure there'd be uh, many, 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 many uh, garments out there will be willing to take advantage of this opportunity. Okay, uh, Gabriel Choi, um, what what would you suggest we, we do about this surplus of vaccines? Uh, as a loss and stress of this time, uh, and uh, our concern about the uh, incidence of uh, deaths after uh, COVID vaccination. So uh, the, the deaths are not clearly uh, explained uh, by the expert committees, and uh, there are no matchup with the uh, current death rates of uh, strokes and heart attacks and so on. So this poses a, a serious um, misunderstanding for the public. Uh, and, uh, and they understand that the, the mortality rate of, uh, the COVID vaccine, of COVID itself is very low among uh, young people. So it's difficult to coerce the younger generation to get vaccinated. Uh, you try uh, all sorts of stuff like uh, uh, making university students get vaccinated uh, or else they don't get uh, to stay in the dormitory. So this kind of uh, pressure actually causes counter-effect and uh, does not actually promote uh, vaccination. I think uh, we need a lot of um, persuasion, a lot of uh, key opinion leaders to come forth and speak out for the uh, vaccination program. Should we be uh, should we be stopping uh, further orders of vaccine? We've got more vaccine. We've got a lot more shots that haven't arrived yet. Should we be counselling uh, them? I think uh, unless there is a change uh, in vaccination rate, uh, there's no point in uh, getting more vaccines in right now. Uh, I think the, the government's uh, pressure right now is to say that if you don't get vaccinated by August, then uh, uh, there, there may not be any more uh, biotech vaccine uh, coming. So this is trying to pressurize the public to get vaccinated. Whether it works or not, uh, we have to wait and see. You, you, you mentioned biotech. Of course, this is only a problem for biotech, isn't it? I mean, the Sinovac vaccines can be kept for a couple of years. Yes, the Sinovac vaccine uh, will be here to stay, but the biotech vaccine uh, is going to leave it uh, by September. So we, could we be in a situation in future where um, um, people haven't taken the biotech vaccines, they're thrown away or we don't get any more, and you want to have a vaccine in Hong Kong, it's Sinovac or nothing? government has uh, uh, tried to make it clear that uh, in future you may have to pay for the vaccination if you don't get it now. So this is uh, uh, another method to pressurize the public to get vaccinated. Okay, we're also joined by Christopher Lai. Christopher Lai is clinical assistant professor at the Department of Mi Microbiology, uh, Chinese University of Hong Kong. And Chinese University of Co Hong Kong, of course, uh, uh, this week uh, releasing a survey that suggested there are up to 20,000 uh, hidden carriers of uh, COVID, or there could be up to 20,000 hidden carriers of COVID in, in Hong Kong. Um, uh, good morning, um, Professor Lai. Good 
morning to you. Good morning, Danny. Now, that was quite an alarming conclusion from that study. It was it appeared to be based on um, six pe six people who were found with antibody antibodies of antibodies. Uh, in their blood. Um, is that really a reliable basis to say that there are 20,000 people in Hong Kong who could be silent carriers? Well, so, um, this is a standard uh, zero prevalence uh, study um, performed last year. So we took blood from people uh, over Hong Kong and then checked the um, serology uh, antibody against the uh, SARS-CoV-2 antibody. And then so we found a few uh, positive uh, serology cases. So with some uh, statistically uh, analysis, so the estimate of uh, 20,000 came out. So I think this is a scientific sound um, estimate of these uh, 20,000 uh, hidden carriers. And if you question me about um, whether it is an alarming situation, so um, hidden infection is actually a well-known phenomenon uh, all over the world. And I think um, what our figure showed already um, proved that uh, our um, uh, COVID uh, contingency, not contingency, uh, uh, containment measures had been uh, rather successful as compared to uh, other places uh, all over the world. So I think, um, well, that's, this is, um, proves that uh, hidden infection does occur and that it is not that alarming and that it proves that uh, Hong Kong is actually doing quite well. But, so when we had the mass testing in the first round of mass yeah. testing in Hong Kong last year, yeah. um, and um, you didn't find anything, you, you just found a tiny number of hidden infection cases. I forget the exact number. Maybe it was uh, uh, 20, 30. Of course, we didn't test all of the population, but uh -huh. even you extrapolate from that, you were talking about a, a few hundred at most. So the, the mass testing last year seemed to present, present a rather different picture of hidden infection in Hong Kong. Well, I think uh, because of the um, population tested, so those volunteers for um, massive testing may not be the same um, persons uh, that is uh, 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 participated in our study. And also, um, in most of the cases that uh, uh, found positive in our study had some uh, exposure history. So the, the population tested is uh, not that dif uh, is different. So that. Um, these two figures doesn't uh, contradict each other, I think. Oh, so what follows from, from that conclusion, Mr. Lai, uh, Professor Lai? Is there something that we should be doing? Should we change our approach, or are you saying that, uh, that this, you know, this oh. is a testament to the success of our approach? Well, uh, I think the, um, the COVID um, measures changed a lot uh, mm. during the study period. Uh, over the course of one year. You sorry, um, you, you said the study yeah. was you, the, the study was done last year. So oh, no, started last year and then lasted for uh, last uh, almost one year. Okay. Oh, so I it see. It has right. been ongoing during. Yeah. <laughs> sorry for not uh, being clear. And uh, so the containment measures um, actually evolved quite a bit. So, um, so what I suggest that uh, is this uh, is kind of a zero preference uh, studies is. Uh, remain useful. So um, I guess we should continue doing this study as the pandemic evolves um, to reveal more uh, figures in, in the coming uh, 
Yes. Mm, keep it going. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, lots of uh, lots of emails uh, on this topic as ever. Uh, quite a few comments on, on Facebook. I have to uh, edit the comments on on, on Facebook because uh, some of them are quite long. But please um, do have a look on our, on our uh, on the page, uh, Bankchat and RTHK Radio Three, to see them all uh, in their glory. Kim says it is sad and sickens me when I hear that there's a chance that Hong Kong could throw away surplus or expiring vaccines. We can't possibly considering be considering this. God forbid we would need to order bulk vaccines in the future, at which point, unless there is more than uh, uh, sufficient supply, would we be able to secure supply? Private sector employers need to get involved, as it's clear nothing the Hong Kong government does will change people's minds. Sustainable zero COVID cases is unsustainable. When will Hong Kong and Australia finally accept this? We cannot keep our borders crossed, uh, closed indefinitely. Uh, Victoria says, concerning the vaccinations, one, we should allow the youngsters with Hong Kong ID to take up the vaccines in line with what other countries are doing them. Two, we are in this position because the government has made virtually no effort to educate the people on vaccination. There's no dedicated roadshow, ingenious advertising, special programmes or commercials, or to engage young key opinion leaders uh, or actors or singers. Three, the government wants people to believe it has to do with mistrust and therefore a political issue. When it is the simple truth, is the hospital authorities' pathetic way of releasing data. I point you to Dr Hopak Lung's comments yesterday. Uh, there's more detail on that. Uh, fourth, the Medical Advisor Committee has sadly consisted of the same people from day one. There's been no fresh ideas. Instead, we've gone from bad to worse since February of last year. Uh, loopholes, ambush, lockdown with zero cases found. Dr Ho and Dr Cowling have been the voice of reason and logic, and yet the government wants nothing to do with them. There's no reason to ask why we are in this situation. Uh, and uh, in uh, emails, Mike says, why is the vaccine take-up so low? When the real question should have been, why take the vaccine in the first place? Probably the best answer to that is, I want to be part of the experiment to further the research in messenger RNA delivery systems. The government form that you signed before taking the jab is required of all participants. This is a WHO requirement. Do you remember signing it and agreeing to be part of the experiment? The form specifically says it asks if you read and understood all of Section 3, but finding Section 3 was not easy. Nearly everyone I asked didn't know what I was talking about. Please find and read the warnings in that Section 3, and then maybe you'll have your answer to the original question. Why is the take-up, vaccine take-up? So low. That's from uh, Mike. Uh, CW says there was a v there is a very good article in the letters column of today's South China Morning Post saying civil servants should lead by example and get vaccinated. If Patrick Nip can't encourage his own civil servants to get vaccinated, what is the hope of others getting others in Hong Kong to get vaccinated? I thought all civil servants have pledged allegiance to Hong Kong. Now is the time to show that allegiance. Hong Kong, get vaccinated. That's from um, CW. And uh, Steve says, personal comment, all the few local cases in the past two weeks were either false positive or previous cases. My take is the government doesn't want to have zero local cases because it gives them legitimacy to restrict protests. So they will do anything to find cases that aren't cases. And uh, Steve also says, uh, can you ask your medical experts about the vaccination centre nurse found infected with COVID? Experts say she was likely found positive. That was in the news this morning, wasn't it? That she's likely found positive by inactivated vaccine she might have inhaled. Here are my questions. One, perhaps Dr. Sridhar, you could, you could um, help us out with this. Uh, one, by inhaling this leaked vaccine bottle, has the nurse been de, fa de facto vaccinated? Might she have the antibodies? Two, is a vaccine airborne? Three, as more people get vaccinated, are we likely to see more false positives? Uh, Dr. Sridhar? Professor Sridhar? Yeah, um, so actually it's quite simple. It's been well documented in other parts of the world, including the US 
there, if there is extensive environmental contamination with viral components, not the virus itself, but parts of the virus, you can actually have false positive tests. So, for example, when you prepare a needle for the vaccination, you know, you would have seen nurses perhaps tap the syringe, perhaps uh, push the conjure a little bit to make sure there are no air bubbles in the needle, very routine activities. When this is done, there may be a little puff of the vaccine component in the air. Uh, and this applies to all medications that are administered uh, by injections, right? So when that happens, uh, the, the nurse may have inhaled a little bit of this vaccine component. Now remember that the final vaccine, which was implicated in this case, actually contains uh, the entire virus in a killed form, right? So that would also include little fragments of its uh, genes. And that's what the PCR is detecting, which is the genes of the virus. So um, when eventually the nurse was tested, then it, uh, she came back with positive. So it was a perfectly innocent and plausible explanation for the whole thing. So, so she had been effectively vaccinated? Well, I, actually, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if that would be an effective way of... Uh, vaccination okay. because nobody knows whether inhaling an inactivated vaccine is a good way of vaccination and I suspect that it's not. It's not sufficiently immunogenic. It doesn't uh, probably doesn't excite a sufficiently good immune response. Remember other inhaled vaccines that we have, for example, like it's influenza are actually live vaccines. So they actually need to get into our nose and replicate a little bit to be exciting enough for our immune response. So I'm afraid uh, this is not uh, going to suffice as vaccination. But I think the more important point is, you know, we really got to focus on our healthcare workers getting vaccinated as well. Because as far as I'm aware, that uh, particular uh, uh, staff member was not uh, vaccinated. So it's, it's not a good look when the, <laughs> when the people administering our vaccines are themselves not vaccinated, right? So, I mean, I think this is, again, something we have to look at, not just civil servants, but also, you know, closer to home, our great uh, healthcare staff, nursing staff and doctors really need to lead the charge and show the public that these vaccines are safe. Professor Lai, I want to ask about a second uh, very interesting study released by Chinese U uh, this week, uh, which looked at 111 recipients of Sinovac and BioNTech vaccines and found all of them had antibodies in their system. Um, now we, there's been a lot of controversy, particularly about the, uh, uh, the, 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 how effective uh, the Sinovac vaccine is. Does that suggest the Sinovac vaccine is perhaps more effective than we thought it was? Well, um, the end point of the study uh, is not uh, uh, the same as the uh, published, uh, published figures uh, previously. So um, uh, we look at the zero uh, conversion of the uh, vaccines, so it's 100%. So it's kind of a good news. But then uh, actually there are some uh, more uh, real studies concerning um, inactivated vaccines just published by JAMA yesterday. And the um, vaccine effectiveness is also uh, up to 75 percent so it's it's actually quite good uh figure uh to to this quite uh optimistic news for us then so because one of the problems with sinovac has really been the lack of reliable data we just right. don't know how effective it is and there have been some studies suggested a very low effective rate around 50 percent but of course those were Correct. those limited data that is, are you suggesting the data coming out now from your study and from other recent studies is pointing to a much higher rate 
Well, I think um, the that is pointing towards that the, the vaccine technology itself is kind of reliable, actually. So, um, and we currently focus on the protection against uh, infection or symptomatic infections. But then I would like to point out that uh, uh, more studies uh, or concerning uh, vaccines also um, provide data that uh, vaccination protects against the severe infection. So it would uh, uh, provide a very good uh, protection against severe infections. So this is, I think, it is very important information to take in because for people who are uh, hesitant in taking up the vaccine, they were uh, afraid of the side effects of the vaccines. But then these are the exact people that will be very likely to have severe mortality and morbidity when they con uh, contracted the COVID-19 virus itself. So we are not we should not compare the uh, vaccine safety um, with not having the vaccine at all. Uh, we should compare uh, the vaccine safety against um, the complications and side effects of having COVID infection. Because when, when we um, take a wider perspective, I, may I? Um, so the pandemic continues to evolve, and then it is kind of unlikely um, to see one day that we are free from COVID from our Earth. So, uh, like it or not, uh, uh, at the end of the day, we will have to face the COVID virus um, if we are not vaccinated. Maybe uh, if our pandemic control measures is good, so we, we, we may be able to wait for a few years. But then, well, the economy may not tolerate for such a long period. So, for Hong Kong citizens, so one way or the other, you have to face the COVID virus or the COVID vaccine. So which is a better option? So that's how I um, convinced myself to take the vaccine. Okay. Well, Professor Lai, many thanks for joining us. Uh, Christopher Neither is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the Chinese University. We're going to uh, continue uh, the discussion, keep the uh, questions and comments uh, coming. Uh, email backchat at rthk.hk. After the news at nine, we're also going to be talking about uh, e-sports and a few related and unrelated issues as well that are on people's minds. The weather before all that, mainly fine apart from a couple of showers this morning, very hot during the day. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees, a little bit warmer in the new territories. 30 Celsius at the moment with a relative humidity now of 78% and the very hot weather warning is in force. Supply chain for construction materials. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat last one of the week this Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, aspects of uh, vaccination, basically, and, and uh, COVID-19 treatment. Uh, in, the, in our main discussion uh, today, we're going to be turning in about uh, 15 minutes' time or so to the issue of uh, e-sports. This is on the back of a, a, a survey uh, which found that... Uh, uh, most respondents uh, in Hong Kong call were calling on the government to uh, promote esports uh, further. Um, uh, what 
are they? Are they? Are they sports? Should we be promoting them? Uh, let us know your thoughts uh, as ever by calling us on two three three eight eight two six six, by emailing backchat at rthk.hk, or by going to our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio three. Lots and lots of comments on vaccination uh, as ever. Uh, Jonathan says, "Hi, backchat. I just went to a vaccination centre and tried to walk in, but it doesn't seem like I can. Maybe if the government allowed walk-ins, more people would be willing to just go in and get a vaccine vaccine." On a whim. That's uh, from uh, Jonathan. Uh, Vic says, Dear Backchat, given the government's resurgent powers, probably it would be a good idea to proceed with an ambush-style vaccination. It will do something as good uh, compared to ambush-style lockdowns. They already have the process in place. Let's see. The medical profession, especially under the auspices of the hospital authority, are not leading the way. Healthcare workers, stop being political and show that you care. Don't be horses wearing blinkers. That's from Vic. And on Facebook, Facebook, uh, TC says, I see two reasons why the government's PR campaign in vaccination has failed spectacularly. First, uh, setting aside those who've got sick from the vaccine, amongst the people who've died from receiving the vaccine, how many of the families received any compensation from the government? The government's narrow definition of what vaccine-related illness, death, uh, doesn't exactly give Hong Kong people peace of mind if anything unfortunate happens to them after getting the vaccination. Personally, instead of financial concerns, I think the government's position on this is by insisting these deaths are unrelated to the vaccine, it can protect the reputation of Sinovac and, by extension, its grandpa. Secondly, the two main spokespeople for the vaccination campaign are Chief Executive Kerry Lam and Secretary for Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Patrick Nip. It's unfortunate distrust has got to an illogical level. But if the goal of the government is to vaccinate enough people to reach herd immunity, then the government needs to find more popular, convincing KOLs to convey the message. On another note, if the government, as well as pro-establishment individuals with ties to mainland China, are linking taking Sinovac with patriotism, then the people who died from it should definitely receive compensation because they paid the ultimate sacrifice in the name of patriotism. Thank you very much, TC. Uh, okay, some uh, more comments. So Tommy W says, Singapore, Taiwan and other places were lauded for their low incidence of COVID cases are now experiencing an unprecedented surge in them. If Hong Kongers don't get over their wait and, see, and wait and see stance, it's only a matter of time before we see another wave of cases, this time consisting of variants that pose a greater risk than before. We will never get past the need for social restrictions unless people wake the frog up. That's from Tommy W. Uh, joining us, uh, as in the first half, uh, we have uh, Siddharth Sridhar, who's a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Gabriel Choi, who's president of the uh, Hong Kong Medical Association. Dr. Choi, um, I mean, one thing is, uh, you know, we can look at the situation in Hong Kong, but there's a very similar situation uh, all over Asia, isn't there? Especially East Asia. Actually, we have a higher rate, for example, than Macau. Uh, we have a higher rate than South Korea. We have a much higher rate than, than Japan. Uh, in many places in this region, there, there is a very low rate. So maybe it's, maybe it's not just a question of uh, uh, what's happening in Hong Kong. It's something else that's going on that's making people reluctant to uh, get vaccinated. I think we have a pretty low rate here in Hong Kong compared with uh, the rest of the world and most Southeast Asian countries. Uh, Taiwan has succumbed uh, after the period. Yeah, but uh, we, we have a higher rate than Taiwan. We have a higher rate than South Korea. Yeah, we have well, a higher have rate a, than Japan. We have a higher rate uh, compared to Taiwan until recently. And Taiwan ultimately succumbed because they did not get vaccinated. So uh, it is important to understand that uh, if we don't 
have uh, mass vaccination and herd immunity. Sooner or later, we may succumb to the same uh, event just like Taiwan. But how about so, Japan? How about Japan? Japan is in very bad COVID at the moment, and the vaccination yeah, rate is still uh, low. Japan has an even lower vaccination rate than Hong Kong. But half and, of Hong Kong, yeah. So, yeah, so Japan, Japan is, the government of Japan is not actively promoting vaccination and getting enough vaccines for, for, for the job. So we often talk about a Hong Kong problem, but it's not only a Hong Kong problem, is it? There are other places in Asia which are having the similar problem. Yes, so Singapore has also a low vaccination rate, uh, uh, which is comparable to Hong Kong. So we, we are looking at a, a situation because uh, the, the, the vaccine is not uh, going to be very helpful for the young, except for her immunity reason. Uh, because the mortality rate in the young is very low. The mortality rate in the, in the elderly over 80 is up to 20% uh, if you contract uh, COVID. But uh, the side effects, uh, uh, supposed side effects, may be high uh, in the elderly. So uh, this caused concern, and we have not been vaccinating, vaccinating enough of the elderly population in elderly homes and so on. So, so some more, some more emails. Uh, Jay, a different Jay to earlier, says, I sold my salt and put all my medical records on the computer. Therefore, why can I not go to a vaccination station, sit there with a the doctor, and he quickly flashed through my records and showed me that things are okay for a vaccine. Secondly, I follow Carrie Lamb. I wear my government underpants mask, but I was not allowed in the hospital. They said it wasn't hygienic, and they don't know how many times I've washed it, so I had to change it to a paper mask. That comes uh, from uh, Jay. Uh, uh, Professor Schrader, um, I mean, you, why don't people just sort of go to their doctor or go to their go to a government clinic and say, "Look at my records," like Jay is suggesting here, but maybe not at the vaccination centre somewhere else, and say, "You know, doctor's advice: should I take the the vaccination or, or or not?" Could you encourage people to do that? Would that put minds at rest? Do you think? Well, they're welcome to do that. And, I mean, the existing recommendations... But it seems people that, don't, don't do it. People are kind of reluctant to do that. Yeah, the, the thing is, the, the honest truth is that most people with chronic medical conditions are perfectly eligible to receive the vaccine, to be honest. Because, you know, we, we, there was quite a lot of fuss about hypertension and diabetes and all that in the early days of the vaccination rollout. And people got freaked out saying, oh, I have hypertension or diabetes. Therefore, no, it is clearly unsafe. And then the media reports of those unfortunate uh, death incidents started coming out. And that further cemented the um, notion that these vaccines are unsafe for patients with chronic medical conditions. Where in fact, the opposite is true. If you have a chronic medical condition um, and catch COVID-19, the outcome is going to be uh, uh, quite quite bad, to be honest. There's a 20% risk of a very, very severe disease indeed. So the, uh, the fact is we've got to slowly reverse this notion that anyone with a chronic medical condition is uh, ineligible for COVID-19. It seems completely inaccurate, and uh, hopefully that will encourage more people with these kind of medical conditions to go out and seek vaccination. Now, if consulting a doctor is part of that process, fine, but uh, I must say that there are no clear guidelines on what exactly constitutes a contraindication to the vaccine itself. 
right? So all they can say is, I mean, as long as you have a chronic medical condition that is under reasonable control, you haven't had to shift your medications around recently, vaccination is very safe indeed. Uh, Dr. Gabriel Choi, you're talking about um, young people have less incentive to be vaccinated. Um, actually, looking at the figures here for vaccination in Hong Kong, the the vaccination rate among people in their 30s is pretty similar to, uh, in fact, it's higher than people in their 60s. I mean, uh, yeah, more higher percentage of young people are getting vaccinated than um, than older people in Hong Kong. Why? Why, why would that be? And a lot of people saying for older people, I know several cases where there are, for older people, they say take Sinovac instead of uh, BioNTech. They say Sinovac may be less effective, but uh, there's less danger of side effects. Yes, this, is, this may be true because uh, the common side effects uh, would be uh, uh, shoulder pain, uh, limb knock, uh, enlargement, uh, Professor Shridhar, um, looking, looking forward, we say only about 20% uh, of Hong Kong's population has been vaccinated, but judging from the, uh, le um, the emails we get at Backchat, probably the percentage of Backchat listeners is ra rather higher than that. Um, so uh, for those of our listeners who have been vaccinated, uh, how long before they need to take a booster shot is your estimate? And does it vary depending on whether they, they, they took Sinovac or, or BioNTech? Actually, what we know at the moment is BioNTech, for example, is, uh, is retains its high level of efficacy at six months, at least, because that's how long the patients in the clinical trial, participants in the clinical trial, have been followed up so far. Based on the antibody levels, it's going to last for one to two years, no problem. One to two years. Beyond that, what happens, we need time to find out. But protection against severe disease should be something that's retained for an appreciable period of time. In fact, I think younger individuals may actually not need a revaccination because they're not at particularly high risk of severe COVID to start off with. Elderly individuals may need a booster if there are troublesome variants emerging over time, but there's no definite timeline for that at the moment. Sinovac, we, we need follow-up data. We, we, we simply don't have enough to say at the moment on how long the protection uh, lasts, and we look to South America for some of the data in the coming months. Okay, uh, a, a lot more emails. Um, James says, uh, why can't Hong Kong's cohort of COVID and vaccine experts get their act together and speak with one voice, whatever voice that is? It seems they represent a diverse range of nationalities and experience. Why do they constantly contradict one another? Not helpful. James says, forget Carrie Lam and her coterie of mediocrity. No one trusts anything that comes out of her mouth or her various propaganda organs. The experts have a solemn responsibility to their profession to provide true information. I believe most do. 
That is from uh, James. Jay Average says, as far as I'm aware, Biontech is a political situation because if we want to go to Europe or UK, the Chinese vaccines won't be recognised. That's why they're telling us when it expires. We have been told we will have to pay $1,000 for it to have the injection in doctors and not with the government. That's from uh, Jay Average. Uh, Alan says, Backshot, every time COVID is discussed, you give airtime to Mike's anti-vaxxer conspiracy lunacy. If you insist on continuing to do this, please limit the length of his fairy tales and ask an actual doctor to comment on them immediately. Uh, Matt says, uh, the recent results of a study by a Chinese university, that's what we were talking about in the first part of the program, actually, uh, with Dr. Lai, uh, indicates that there is a high percentage of antibody response to vaccination. My question is whether the sample in the study is representative of the Hong Kong population and includes sick people, those with chronic illnesses, etc., rather than just healthy volunteers. Uh, this would be useful to know for people with illnesses. That comes uh, from Matt. Uh, well, Matt, uh, the, the, uh, one of the doctors who is participating is, is has left us um, now i did have a look at the chinese university uh, website and i can't actually find the whole study um, but i did find uh, a reference that the uh, the figures had been uh had been corrected uh so they had been i think uh, kind of weighted uh, whether that weighting which is often done in kind of uh, large-scale surveys uh whether that's uh weighted according to uh, you know, according to age or or um, gender or or what, uh, isn't clear, and I can't find the whole study itself. But if you could, you could have a route around there, uh, if you wanted to to uh, to find that out in the uh, the uh, medical the faculty of medical medicine at the uh, Chinese University. Uh, okay. Uh, Paul says, if you want people to go get a vaccine, uh, then why not remove the mask mandate? Those idiots who don't want to wear masks or get vaccinated will soon keel over in the streets, just like in the videos we all saw from Wuhan on social media, which were obviously true and not simply images from Plato's cave. Meanwhile, for those who are clever and know that the vaccine is the way, truth and life, will subsequently rush out to get their dose and live happily ever after, no longer needing to wear a face blankie. That's from Paul in uh, Taipo. You can put that whole message perhaps in inverted commas or something. Uh, Ilango says, uh, why can't the government take inspiration from South Korea and remove the quarantine altogether for fully vaccinated people as well as mandatory mask wearing? This can be risky, but it can shake most people's misguided belief that they can survive with just masks instead of vaccines. Wasting vaccines in this time is a crime, uh, in my opinion. That's from uh, Ilango. Uh, um, uh, thank you very much indeed for uh, all your messages uh, this morning. Just a couple more we can just squeeze in uh, perhaps quickly. Um, uh, TC says, uh, is it possible the low uptake is due to the available choices? Let's accept people's RMNA uh, skepticism being a new product with limited long-term data. Sinovac has the initial post-vaccination side effects and limited clinical data. Why not offer the third option, AstraZeneca vaccine, for these sceptics? Uh, Tracy says perhaps the Centre for Health Protection should create a booking deadline for booking Biontech COVID-19 vaccinations of, say, mid-July and retain sufficient vaccination doses for the bookings and arrange for any excess vaccination doses to be donated to a third country in dire need. There are many countries who would gladly take these vaccines 
vaccines, it would be truly terrible if these unused vaccine doses were wasted and placing a deadline might increase the vaccination rate in Hong Kong. And Jay once again says, why doesn't the government go to on-site to all people's homes or factories? This will make it a lot more convenient to a lot of people. And one in all in. Two ways the vaccine is a total disgrace and inconfidence of the government. That is from Jay. Many, many thanks to our guests once again this morning, to Dr Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association. Thank you once again, Dr Choi. And thank you once again to uh, Siddharth Sridhar, Clinical Assistant Professor at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Microbiology. Thank you very much indeed. Just before we get to our, to our final uh, topic uh, today, a couple of other uh, messages. Uh, Eric says, congratulations on your panellist yesterday talking about cruise lines. I wish more people would come out and tell the Hong Kong population to get vaccinated. More power to your elbow. Um, Jay, uh, this is a different Jay, let's call him JS, uh, says, uh, Professor Kevin Carrico on your show uh, yesterday was allowed to make many fast and loose assertions, indeed untruths against the government without being challenged by the hosts. For example, he claimed pro-democracy legislators have been arrested on trumped-up charges under the pretext of national security. What Professor Carrico failed to mention is that those arrested are accused of seeking to cripple the government and to burn down its institutions under its strategy of lamb chow. This is Cantonese for we burn together. It emulates the philosophy of the French Marxists who sought total destruction to rebuild in their image. No government would or should allow that. You should have challenged Carrico on this point and at least have reminded him that these serious charges will be tried in a court of law. Previously, we had Emily Lau claiming the harbour was full of bodies, hinting that death squads were at work. There are many such examples on your show, yet when guests supporting the official side make wild claims, the presenters are all over them. I've got to say, JS, I don't remember Emily Lau claiming the harbour was full of bodies. And wasn't the co-host yesterday, uh, Nixie Lau, a member of the DOB? The co-host was was Nixie Lau. uh, JS, um, that, that, that reference fails me, and, and Danny doesn't recall that either. When, when, can you tell us when Emily Lau said the harbour was full of bodies? Uh, if you're uh, interested in, in uh, you know, getting a supporting evidence. Uh, anyway, uh, JS uh, concludes, come on back, chat, you can do better. Let's have facts, opinions and claims challenged and presented in a fair and objective way. Don't allow wild assertions to go unquestioned. And Mary says, dear back chat, on LegCo bribery, that's not one but two cases of bribery during LegCo elections on the part of the pro-establishment are going through the courts at the moment should be shocking. But such activities have been common knowledge for years. What's shocking is that in the case of the county in West by election that it was won by a slim majority, the incumbent, Vincent Cheng, has not been disqualified. A Kowloon City District Councillor was recently kicked out when accused of printing and distributing election promotional materials, which claimed that he had the support of international relations scholar Simon Shen and former legislator Lao Siu Lai before obtaining their written permission. This was a clerical error, a minor matter when compared with a conviction of bribery on a large housing estate with thousands of potential voters whose votes may have been corrupted. That the same practice was carried out on other estates is probable. The 105 thousand constituents who voted for Edward Yu and who may have been denied representation by their candidate of choice deserve justice. The LegCo president has a duty to put his house in order. That is from Mary. And on eSports, which we'll get to in just a moment, Mr Tang says eSports are a thriving, lucrative business and have taken the world by storm. The development of eSports would certainly propel the industry to up their game in terms of promotion, recruitment and advertising. Meaningful, more gamers could potentially craft out a career of gaming. 
playing. Despite the popularity, esports shouldn't be considered sports. Anyone who's played video games knows that the player only needs to outplay their opponents or get through a certain level with a high degree of concentration, hand-eye coordination and problem-solving skills. However, all they do is sit in front of their monitors, press the buttons on the keyboard or control a non-stop and get really tense. Don't tell me that in the course of playing they could build up muscles and boost their blood circulation and metabolism. Having said that, some of the world-famous gamers have earned star-like status like athletes have. For example, Swedish gamer PewDiePie is one of the most popular YouTubers all over the globe and is earning millions of dollars. Local gamer Brother Tat, a.k.a. Tatgore, has also amassed a huge following in our city and teenagers look up to him as an idol. That is from Mr. Tang. This uh, was uh, inspired by uh, researchers at uh, the Baptist University who have called on the government to promote uh, e-sports. Uh, they said that uh, in a uh, study of uh, uh, public opinion uh, in Hong Kong, uh, a, a large number of people uh, said that uh, the government should do more to uh, promote uh, esports. Um, for comment, we're joined now by uh, Eric Young, who's the founding president of the Esports Association of Hong Kong. Mr. Young, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Thanks very much indeed. So, so kind of vote of confidence, a thumbs up from, from people uh, in Hong Kong, it seems, uh, for esports. What do you say to Mr. Tang, first of all, and, and, and other people who say this isn't sport at all? news for us and uh, we would be glad to see that so many people right now has changed their uh, um, uh, thought and, and starting to supporting the but because I, I still remember maybe it's the same or, or similar research maybe three or four years ago the the result doesn't look like this and so many parents and people think that eSport it doesn't uh, doesn't look like a, a, a sport at all but right now we can see the more and more people supporting this and they see the importance that uh, it would be a great opportunity for the youth for for developing themselves and as well as uh, it's good for the innovation and technology as well now esports is going to be recognized for the asian games is that right do you think yes. it, is it ever going to become an olympic sport uh i think probably that would be yes uh but of course that would, wouldn't be able to happen in this year but we can see that uh even olympic sports has launched virtual series the nms virtual series in this year and what's the major difference of this from their traditional e-sport is, I, I think that would be probably would be able to train the muscle <laughs> uh, instead of just training your fingers because they try to transform the traditional sports to become uh, using the simulator or using the electronic way so that they maybe you can say that that would be a new format of the e-sport as well. And I think that would be great for integrating the traditional sports and the new e-sports together. We, we have a comment on uh, Facebook where Matthew asks, why are esports called esports? Is chess also a sport? <laughs> You're right, but, you know, uh, I think the major difference of the esport of traditional sport is the, 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 the way that people receive it. Because uh, from uh, the reason why we have esports is because right now we have so many streaming platforms, we have so online platforms, and, you know, the major delivery of, of those uh, uh, esports is using that kind of online platform to let the people or to let the audience to enjoy the show instead of the traditional using the traditional media. So somehow you may say that the e-sport right now they define the new way for, for, for the audience to join it. So unlike the traditional sport. So you know, uh, maybe the traditional like the chess, okay, they're using the, the your brain or uh, uh, your finger as well instead of using your, your big muscle. But 
uh, I think the way that we enjoy the show or how we decide the, the, the program itself is totally different. Maybe you can respond to the rest of Matthew's comment on Facebook saying esports is just like the early days of cocaine or speed marketing when they were positioned as mood or energy enhancers. That description was probably more accurate than the use of sports in this case. Love to hear how industry advocates justify the choice of the sports descriptor for highly sedentary indoor computer games almost always played in a dark room. Okay. Over to you, Mr. Young. <laughs> okay, first of all, we, we, have to, we have to differentiate what's the definition of sports and doing exercise. Uh, first of all, I, I think that any kind of fair, uh, competition doing, we, we doing in a fair way, that, that, could be, that could be regarded as sports. But the way that we, we're doing is for the major difference is we're using different tools. Instead of using football, basketball, we're just using the video game as well to be, become the judge as well as to become the tools for competing with each other. And I think what more important is you, you, you cannot you cannot deny that right now eSports is probably you, you, you are not only talking about this kind of sports, but a kind of entertainment of whether you like it or not. Basically, every kid right now, they do enjoy with this kind of entertainment. And, you know, uh, uh, the major issue is the, everyone have, have 24 hours a day, as, as long as they're they, they pay the more attention on uh, using or uh, playing the, those uh, video game, or you can say that doing esports activity. Then you, you, they, they are right now uh, they have less time for doing the other sports. So I think that the best way to do that is try to integrate them together. And I think that kind of maybe as I mentioned before, the virtual series or virtual sport could probably maybe a best solution to make the balance between between the issue. But 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 I mean, the, but the comparison with drugs is is um, kind of quite suitable isn't it because they're really addictive <laughs> computer <laughs> games the, the point is that uh, especially young people they will not stop playing unless you stop them they will just kind of play forever it's like crack yeah. for children <laughs> maybe you're right but i i i, I think that I, I i let me put it this way actually every kind of sports could be quite got as drugs as you've mentioned mm, the only i don't know the, the only reason to stop us is the fatigue issue. Uh, uh, when I play basketball, actually, I, I played it. I played uh, until I, I, I feel tired. Uh, same as, uh, same as the, the, the video game. But of course, you're right that video uh, game right now do have other issues that because people can play longer and maybe they can even play in, in the bed. Then, of course, that would be a concern for the parents. And I think that what we could we need to address as well at the same time. So maybe, for example, like our association, what what we do is trying to do more uh, uh, talk with the parents as well as to, in, into the school to talk about the anti-addictive issue. I think that is one of the issues that we, we may probably have to face and solve together maybe maybe uh, in the short future. Hmm. Okay, well, well, many thanks for joining us. Just a few uh, emails uh, for and against. Uh, GT says eSports is also in VR and that is very physical, uh, similar to uh, Airsoft. Uh, Rohit says, I don't think it's actually sport. Can't imagine my fat neighbour who doesn't move his bum for anything which involves moving, moves with a chance to winning Olympic gold. Uh, and Paul says, I'd love to participate in eSports, however I can't get my hand on a PS5 for love nor money. Can you help? 
that comes from Paul. Sorry, that's not really our business, Paul. But uh, thanks very much indeed for your comment. And many thanks to uh, Eric Young. Thank you, Mr. Young, the founding president of the Esports Association uh, Hong Kong. Uh, one more comment from Tracy, who says, perhaps the Centre for Health Protection should create a booking deadline for booking BioNTech COVID-19 vaccinations, as I say, mid-July, and retain sufficient vaccination doses for the bookings, and then arrange for any excess vaccination doses, doses to be donated to a third country in dire need. There are many countries who will gladly take these vaccines. It would be truly terrible if these unused vaccine doses were wasted and placed a deadline might increase the vaccination rate uh, in Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed for all the many uh, comments, uh, emails and uh, Facebook posts uh, this morning. Danny, many thanks to you. Here's the weather before we go. Mainly fine. A couple of showers this morning and then very hot. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees in the urban areas. Warmer in the countryside. The outlook's still very hot tomorrow and there'll also be a few showers. Showers and thunderstorms early to midweek next week. Showers Heavy at times. There's a very hot weather warning now. 31 Celsius, relative humidity at 75%. Have a good weekend. Amid the pandemic, elderly people and those with chronic diseases are at higher risk of severe illness if they contract COVID-19. Vaccination is one of the simplest and most effective ways to protect yourself and your family. Consult a doctor before vaccination if you have a chronic disease that is not yet stable. Protection will be effective 14 days after the second dose. Let's keep observing personal hygiene and wearing masks. Then we will resume normal life soon. Protect yourself and others. Let's get vaccinated. 932, the news now with Todd Harding. Russia has denied entry to flights by two European airlines because they plan to avoid flying over Belarus. Austrian Airlines and Air France cancelled their services to Moscow after their new flight plans were rejected. Several airlines are avoiding Belarusian airspace in protest at the government's decision to force a Ryanair flight to divert and land in Minsk on Sunday. France is to ban non-essential travel from Britain from Monday to reduce the chances of spreading the variant of Covid first identified in India. France has had about 80 cases of the strain. And the United Nations Human Rights Council has agreed to open an investigation into this month's conflict between Israel and the militant group Hamas. 24 out of 47 countries voted in favour of the resolution. Hamas, which controls the Gaza Strip, has welcomed the decision, but Israel said it would not cooperate with the investigation. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, Great interpreter of Beethoven, and by oh so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy counts, co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for cats. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Friday. It's the Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. So, at 10.10 today, we welcome back American attorney and author Mike Godwin, he of Godwin's Law fame. Going to join us live from Washington, D.C. to talk about his books, which we haven't actually touched on before, and other assorted stuff. After 11, our roving or raving sport expert Danny Hicks brings you this week's sports and all. And after 12, we're off to the movies with critic James Marsh reviewing Cruella, Army of the Dead, The Courier and more. So join Marshy, Danny and Mike on Facebook Live with all your comments and wit and expertise through until 1.